a new preaching series. Uh, Richard, Jim and I have uh, met together uh, before Richard jetted off to New Zealand and um, we planned out kind of the, at least the sermons and, and that for the rest of the year. Jim is someone who likes to be prepared, so that was pretty important for him that we had a bit of a plan. And, you know, I appreciate that as well. Uh, as Jim mentioned, Richard's uh, overseas. He comes back and then Jim uh, heads off to the Philippines with Word of Life for three weeks. So for this first chunk of weeks, you kind of stuck with me a little bit. Um, this series that we're starting this morning uh, will go for five weeks. And then we'll get to December, and we're going to have three weeks of, of Advent, of Advent uh, sermons leading up to Christmas. And then this year, if you've looked ahead of your calendar, you'll notice that Christmas Eve is a Sunday. And so what we're going to do there, we're going to actually change things up a little bit, and we're going to have a Christmas Eve service in the evening. And so our gathering on that Sunday on Christmas Eve will be just in the evening, and then we'll have our Christmas morning service from nine o'clock. Uh, this series, uh, as you can see on the screen there, called, titled The Fruitful Church, it's loosely based on this book called The Fruitful Church uh, by Andrew Turner, who's a South Australian Baptist pastor. And so the three of us have kind of gotten into this book and we've, we're going to be, um, the series is loosely based on that book. But the purpose of this series, why are we doing this series for five weeks? The purpose of this is to regather us as Brookside Baptist Church around what is the purpose of church and specifically, what is the purpose of our church, Brookside? The change of season for us with Daryl leaving is a naturally unsettling time. For each of us, our perspective on this change and what is ahead of us will be different. And it's important that we acknowledge that, that um, we seek to work together and partner with God in His healing and reconciliation. But it's also a really important opportunity for us to ask, what are we doing here? What are we on about? And what's God calling us into, even amongst the messiness of life together as a community of faith? I want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask a few questions this morning. The first one I want to ask to think about what makes a good church now you might think uh, often when we think of a response to what makes a good church often things that come to mind are the things that ch the church might do the ministries that it's a part of the bible teaching that it that it facilitates the involvement in the broader community i think a more important question though for us to think about is what makes a successful church how do we know if a church is successful? Sometimes it is the things that we do, like I mentioned, the, the ministries that, that uh, the church runs, the solid Bible teaching or the, the programs that it facilitates in the broader community. But at the end of the day, what makes a successful church is what makes a successful anything. Is it doing what it's supposed to be doing? Think about it like this. Think about a business, a successful business. Not necessarily have to be a big business, but a, a successful business will be one that's turning a profit and uh, maybe enough to pay the bills and to maybe slowly expand. Or you know, let's think about sporting organisations. What makes a successful sporting organisation? Well, it's winning trophies. They're, they're in it to win it. 
is the sporting organisation winning championships? And if they're not winning championships, well, we probably wouldn't say they're particularly successful. What about successful governments? A government that cares for its people. Broadly speaking, we can judge good and poor governments based on whether they care for their people. There are certain things they're supposed to be doing. So a successful church is a church that is doing what it's supposed to do. So the question is, what is a church supposed to be doing? It's a really good question to think about and one that has a myriad of answers. Sometimes it's about caring for the community of believers or being involved in the broader community, caring for the poor and the marginalised. But when it all boils down, how do you know if a church is successful? How do you know a church is doing what it's supposed to be doing? Well, according to Turner in The Fruitful Church, a successful church is a fruitful church. A fruitful church that's not only doing all those things that I've just mentioned, but one that is multiplying. You might like to think about a family tree, how there's a clan and a tribe that emerges out of two people multiplying. Or you take the seeds from an apple and you can end up with an orchard. A fruitful church is one that's not just marked by the fruits of the Spirit, or cares for the poor, or is engaged in its community, or has a vibrant fellowship, it's one that is multiplying. And the key idea um, out of that book, Fruitful Church, is that a church, a fruitful church, is one that multiplies. And when you think about it, it kind of makes sense that a, fruit, a successful church is one that multiplies. Not just ticking the boxes, maybe adding a few people here or there via some transfer growth every so often. That they're doing more than just being engaged in the community, teaching well and running good ministries. But it's actually fruitful and multiplying. Generally, that's what, I, that's what we're going to be thinking through as we seek to regather and refocus as a church um, after Daryl has finished up. And we want to seek to discover what God has for us now and how we might step into that. It's something that we all are, um, are going to be thinking through and engaging with. This isn't, the, the next five weeks is not just about coming along and, and listening to one of us ramble on a bit about multiplication, but this is an opportunity for us to, to lean in together and to grow together. So I want to start by doing that um, this morning, by looking at this parable in Mark chapter 4 together. So if you have your Bibles there, open up um, to Mark 4. We're going to be looking at that this morning. Now as Betty read those words for us, I'm sure um, even for those who are not farmers like me, we, we kind of get the story, Right? A farmer goes out, he chucks a bunch of seed everywhere. Some lands on the path and is eaten, some on the rocks and withers um, because it has no roots. Some gets choked out by some weeds and still other, others land on some good soil and they grow. Wonderful. 
And then Jesus says at the end there, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And you kind of, I don't know, get this sense of like, well, I did just hear it. Um, What's the point? But it's interesting to think about this parable in the context of, of Mark's gospel. It's an important parable because in Mark's gospel, Jesus is described as a teacher. And yet here in Mark chapter 4 is the first kind of block of, che- of teaching that we get. Before this, it's, we get a bit of a summary of what he's been saying. But this is the first block of teaching that we get from Jesus. And then after Jesus tells his parables, the disciples kind of pull him aside and say, what's the go? What's the story with, with the farmer? And Jesus says to them, how can you understand any parable if you don't get this one? So it's a bit of a suggestion that this is an important parable here. And so the disciples ask, what's what's with the story? And Jesus begins to explain it to them. And it becomes apparent that it's a descriptive parable of Jesus' ministry. Jesus explains that the seed represents the Word of God. The farmer goes out and he scatters it all around. And the the four different soils are four different responses to that Word. For some, they hear the word and they reject it straight away. For others, they hear the word and they respond with joy. This is good news. But the soil in their hearts is shallow. And so as soon as things get hard, they fall away. Others receive the word and it grows in their life, but it never bears fruit. I've got to tell you, that's, one of, that's the most frightening of those three soils. It looks green, it actually grows, but it doesn't produce fruit. It's choked out by the worries of life and the desires for other things. And in some cases, the, the seed falls in good soil and it grows and produces a crop 30, 60 or 100 fold. And in the context here in Mark chapter 4, it's, it's explaining why Jesus' ministry has not gone to plan. Now, I'm sure Jesus had no dramas with how his ministry was happening, was going at this particular point. But I reckon many others were not okay with how things were going. We look back at chapter 1, we have this incredibly hyped up story. Here, Jesus is proclaimed as the fulfillment of prophecy, preceded by John the Baptist, whose own baptism was accompanied by signs and wonders of God breaking into the world. The Messiah has come. And then he starts his ministry in Galilee, not in Jerusalem. Then he calls a bunch of fishermen rather than some, you know, good people. Then he starts hanging around with tax collectors and sinners and and nobody really understands him. And then the priests and the teachers of the law start accusing him of being blasphemous and even that he might be demon-possessed. And before we get here to chapter 4 where we are today, they are already plotting to kill him. This parable is a way of Jesus saying, the problem is is not the seed or the sower, it's the soils. Jesus is saying, it's not me, it's you. The seed just bounces straight off you or it's choked out by your worries and desires for other things. The seed is good, Jesus says. Jesus says, it's not me, it's you. 
And at the end of the story, and at the end of Jesus explaining the story, we can see that multiplication is actually the desired outcome. So the implications for us as we think about this. Now, the farmers amongst us would have a better understanding about this than me, but 30-fold return sounds pretty good. Would you say, Jeff, would you say 30-fold a return on a harvest is all right? It's not too bad? Yeah? Um, I mean, 60 sounds amazing. But even to me, with no farming experience whatsoever, a hundredfold return sounds a bit ridiculous. A hundredfold return on a harvest. Now, I actually found out that um, this idea of hundredfold return on a harvest is mentioned way back in Genesis chapter 26, where Isaac sows his seed and he receives a hundredfold back. And in Genesis 26, we're told why this is the case. Because the Lord blesses him. There's something here about the blessing of God that rests on this process of fruitfulness. But there's also this idea of multiplication. Now, when we think of fruitfulness, we often uh, tend to personalise it. I mean, it's very us, right? An individualistic, narcissistic, self-focused culture. We make it, it's very easy to make everything about us. And so we do that with fruitfulness. We make it about us and we think, yes, the seed of the gospel has been sown in my heart and it's producing a harvest. It's fruitful. It's fruitful in my life. But for what purpose? And what sort of fruit? Is it fruit just so I feel good about myself? I'm more patient. I'm more generous and kind. Isn't that wonderful for me? Friends, Jesus is after more than individuals taking steps into the kingdom. He's about the multiplication of the good news, that that seed might continue to be scattered elsewhere and multiply 30, 60, 100-fold. There's a couple of other things here that's worth us reflecting on this morning. When we think of this scattering of this seed in this parable, there's, this sense, there's a sense of generosity. Now, for those of you um, who have planted seeds in paddocks, I'm not 100% sure, I'm, you know, I'm not a farmer, but it seems like this farmer is just chucking seed everywhere. And it would seem to me that if you're, getting, if you're sowing seeds as a farmer and you're getting lots of it on the path and lots of it in the rocks and lots of it amongst the weeds... Maybe you're doing it wrong. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not a farmer, but like, it kind of strikes me as odd. There's something about this sower who is just scattering seed everywhere. But there's something important about that. Everywhere the farmer goes, he's just chucking out and scattering the seed. He's not being selective about what looks good or familiar or comfortable or he's not just scattering the seed amongst people who look like us, seem to fit our perception of what good soil might be. There's this implied generosity here. 
A type of generosity that doesn't wonder if I'm wasting my time um, sowing this seed or, or, or investing myself into someone else's life or wasting myself by, because this might not turn into anything. Or considering that there, it might be wasting an invitation or an opportunity to serve. That's not what we get here. There's an implied generosity which has to be part of our lives as followers of Jesus. And when we think about giving generously, it's so much more than just about giving our money. There's so many different ways that we can be generous in our service and with our time and generous in prayer. I mean, praying for for your enemies or those that you don't get on with much is a generous prayer, isn't it? Praying for churches across Musselbrook in our nation to be successful like Barbie prayed and Jeff often prays when he leads us. That's a generous prayer, isn't it? We can pray and we can serve and we can give generously. And this really needs to become something of a foundation for what we're on about. This is part of what we're called to as a church, to be generous. And when you think about it, the whole thing about scattering seed is you have to let it go. You can't have a harvest if you leave all the, all the seed in the barn or the shed. You have to scatter it out there. You have to lose it. You have to give it all away and then see what comes of it. And there's a level of uncertainty in the scattering of the seed. You never know where the good soil might be. Now, we need to remember this is a parable because I'm sure as a farmer, the field that you have spent time ploughing and preparing and investing in in, in fertiliser, that's probably a good place. Like, you know, that's probably a good place for the seed to go. So we have to remember that this is a parable that we're talking about. But there is a sense in this parable with how Jesus is describing his own ministry that scattering, he's just scattering the seed everywhere because who knows? where you might find some good soil. And when you think about the life and ministry of Jesus, he finds good soil in some really odd places. I mean, the people that you would have expected to be good soil, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the ones who have have studied the word of God, who have been committed themselves to obeying God, to be as faithful as they can be, devoting their whole lives. Well, their lives prove to be a path where the seed just bounces off. Where does Jesus find the good soil? Well, he finds it in people who are labelled sinners, in tax collectors, in fishermen. Now, if we were all to share our stories of coming to faith, how many of us would include an element of unlikely soil? How many of us were good soil from the get-go? How many, when we look back, might actually say, it's a bit strange that I've come to faith at all? Jesus scatters seed everywhere because there is that uncertainty. You see, we can't just wait until we find the right person and say, ah, you're ready, 
There's the good soil. Let me share the gospel with you. Let me, let me serve you in this way. We have to be scattering it far and wide because who knows where we will find some good soil. Now, while there is some uncertainty about how we go about our work, there is also something very certain about it as well. And it's here we have like a bit of a mystery. At one level, the seed will grow. The seed will grow. The good news, God's word will produce in us what God wants to produce. There's certainty about that. He will cause us to be more like Jesus, right? He will conform our character to his. This is God's certain work in our midst. But it seems to me that there's a bit of, um, a bit of that nature-nurture thing going on. I mean, you see that in kids and in, in your grandkids. Sometimes for the good and sometimes <laughs> for the bad. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you pass on genetically. You can't help that. Recently, Chilton has been getting some nosebleeds. Um, and I got nosebleeds heaps as a kid, and I had my nose, inside of my nose, burnt out, and I still had nosebleeds. And I say to Chili, sorry, mate, <laughs> that's genetics, I can't help it. And he's probably like, yeah, thanks for nothing, Dad, this is terrible. Um, but there's other aspects in our boys, and I think that's nurture. I think they do that because I do that. They do that because we do that. There's certain things that mark them as our kids because of the way we are raising them. And again, sometimes that's positive, <laughs> sometimes less so. <laughs> what we're seeking to multiply, ultimately, we're seeking to multiply followers of Jesus. You see, we're not trying to create people or influence people who become loyal to Brookside Baptist Church. I'm just not really interested in that. We need to be interested in becoming a church that produces followers of Jesus. Now, God will do His work in that. That's the nature part. But we have a part to play as well. What sort of disciples are we nurturing here? Are we nurturing Good disciples, mature disciples who are generous in their prayer, service and in their giving, who know the scriptures, who know the character of God, who are able to speak of what God has done in their lives, both to those who already follow Jesus and those yet to choose to follow him. What are we nurturing? And I think that becomes part of our challenge here. You know, as a, as a church, as a community of faith, we want to come together. We want to move toward multiplying. We want to be seeing the investment and the blessing of God in the things that we do 30, 60, 100 fold. And there's much ahead of us in this new season as a church. There's going to be much that changes, there's going to be new things that start. There's. For starters, like we, we need to add people to our leadership team. You know, that needs to change. We need to see more connect groups being led by more people and we need to be seeking out our collective contribution to God's kingdom work here in Musselbrook and 
there's much to be working away at. But a more fundamental question for us is what kind of disciples are we nurturing? Because the fruitful church multiplies. It doesn't just multiply numerically, it multiplies in kind. What I mean by that is you think about apple trees. They multiply as other apple trees. So what kind of disciples are we nurturing and seeking to multiply? We want to be multiplying disciples who love and follow Jesus, who have been changed by him. And as we think about that, that it challenges our own discipleship, doesn't it? So let me encourage you to be thinking about that, to be praying about that, to be considering that, so that when we come together over these uh, five weeks, as we begin to grapple with a little bit more and we grapple with this over the coming weeks and months, that God might speak to us as individuals, as families, as connect groups, as a community of faith about what he is calling us to next. Let us lift our eyes. Let us be thinking and praying and discerning what God, what God has called us to for the sake of this world, a world that is desperate for good news. Let me um, lead us in prayer. Lord God, we want to take this time and this moment to not only be laying our hearts before you, but opening them to you and what you have for us. As we've been reminded already, as we turn to you in prayer, as we seek you, you will listen and we will find you. Lord God, we know as individuals and as a collective we know you are faithful. We know you have a future for us. And Lord God, as we consider for ourselves what it is you might be multiplying in our life here at Brookside, might you lead each of us and all of us together to be nurturing and cultivating good soil. We pray together as the people of God, as, as a faith community, we pray that as we grapple with this together, that you would be revealing yourself, your plans and your purposes to each of us and all of us collectively, that we might do this together. That as we, we, we take steps and efforts into seeing your kingdom come in Musselbrook as it is in heaven, as we seek that out, as we, we strive towards that, might you bind us together. Lord Jesus, would your prayer 
that you prayed for us, that we will be one as you and the Father and the Spirit are one. May that be a reality that we experience more and more and more. Lord God, would you give us soft hearts and open ears towards you and towards each other. Lord Jesus, we want to see lives changed by you. And so would you lead and guide us and empower us in that. And we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite the music team and they're going to